Well, I tell you, we uh, had an amazing evening last night after. See, the people that I, that were at, where I was at last night know what I'm, the two or three know what I'm talking. You didn't get a chance to finish, man. <laughs> but uh, it really is a great testimony, and it really falls into the lesson that I'm going to be teaching today. We were at the Hope, Night of Hope. Uh, for Barahona, which is a little community in the Dominican Republic. And through Diana Bryant Ministries, we were participating in a gala fundraiser to help raise funds to build a Christian school in a very impoverished community. And I tell you, to the glory of God, every single penny needed to finish and build the school was raised last night. So I really congratulate Diana and the team behind that. It really was an amazing evening. We had 220 people there. Each paid $100 per ticket, but that wasn't the, that wasn't even the story because that was just to get you in. We did this auction to f- finish all the things that the building needed, windows and air conditioners or uh, generators. Everybody wanted to make sure that before we left there last night, that building was going to get built. So uh, that's a testament to when God's people come together to a cause. But it's also a testament when God gives a specific command or instruction to one individual and that individual carries it out. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about the path to greatness in the kingdom of God. And I want to talk about a story that we read about, but perhaps not realize the impact that it had on the whole New Testament. And the reason why this story, in my opinion, is one of the greatest and most important in the Bible is because it has to do with one disciple. Everybody say disciple. Get used to that word because you're going to hear me repeat that word today about 20 times because that's going to be the message of this morning, okay? How many disciples do we have in the house this morning? About 20 years. How many disciples do we have in the house this morning? Are you sure? All right, let's find out after we get after we get through this lesson today, okay? Because I want you to understand the fact that we're talking about a disciple. We're talking about a person like you and me. And isn't it interesting that this particular individual that we're going to talk about was not an apostle. As a matter of fact, this guy didn't even have a calling in the five-fold ministry. He was just one disciple. Say disciple, okay? Um, someone like you and me that made one of the greatest contributions in the New Testament. And here's really the story of this morning. The story of this morning is this, this could be either one of us. The person that I'm going to talk about today could be either one of us. Please hear this. God wants to put all of us in a position so that we can make our mark and contribution for the kingdom of God. And most of the time, it doesn't even involve a pulpit. It involves a willingness. Everybody say willingness. Okay? This is why. Matthew 12, 50. Here's what Jesus says. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, is my sister, is my mother, a.k.a. disciple. Say disciple. Now make sure you get this message. Greatness in the kingdom of God has nothing to do with accomplishment, wealth, or popularity, but a willingness to do the will of the Father. That's all it involves. Okay, because the individual that we're going to be talking about today was not a huge name in in the, in the Bible. You know, in other words, we only really hear about him once, and that 
is it. But what he did and fulfilled made him one of the greatest contributors to the kingdom of God. So I repeat the question, how many of us want to be great in the kingdom of God? Because here's the thing. Everybody has an opportunity. Isn't it great that God is a fair God? Listen, God makes absolutely no exceptions of persons. God does not care about your title. He doesn't care about your status. He doesn't care where you are in the economic scale. Economic scale. He's only looking for people who are simply willing to do his will. That's all he's looking for. And how many know that that, that has no race, no color, and no language? It's about obedience. Write that down. That's your first point. So if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, it starts with obedience. And in order to illustrate this, I want to go into the story of Ananias and Paul. But the story here is not going to be about the apostle Paul. The story here is going to be about Ananias. Everybody say Ananias. Okay. But for today's lesson, I need to revisit a scripture that Pastor Frank spoke about when he started this series, I Am Paul. So we're going to all go back to Acts chapter 9 because there's a powerful hidden gem in this story that has absolutely nothing to do with Paul but a not so well-known disciple called Ananias. Now, I'm not talking about the one that robbed God. Amen? We all know there was an Ananias that robbed God. I'm not talking about this Ananias. I mean, look. I hate to say this, but some people are mentioned in the Bible for the right reasons. And how many know that others are mentioned for the wrong reasons? This guy is mentioned for the right reasons. So let's go to Acts chapter 9 and let's start the story in verse 1. Here's what it says. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were in the way, uh, in the way, whether man or woman, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, if you are new to the scripture, let me just say that the story of Paul starts when he was called Saul, okay? He was the most feared man as it relates to being a persecutor of Christians. We're talking about God, now check this out, about to call the person least qualified to fulfill the greatest work in the New Testament, least qualified. Everybody say least qualified. Okay. The least qualified, the last person you would think God would choose. Let's keep on with the story in verse 3. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goals. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise, go into the city. You will be told what you must do. Now, we need to ask the question, why would God choose a persecutor to become one of the greatest apostles in the Bible? I think that's a fair question. Let's talk about Paul for a second. You see, Paul's natural ability was zeal. Everybody say zeal. The word zeal simply means great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or objective. See, here's the thing. Paul had the right zeal, just the wrong objective. God knew that, so rather than punish Paul, God said, I'm going to turn this one against the enemy. How many of you know that when you became born again, God turned you against the enemy? Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
When you became born again, you did enter into a battleground. But here's what you have to be convinced in your head. It's a battleground that was already won by Jesus Christ. And you need to know how that relates to you. And I'll get to that in just a second. We all know what the objective is with Paul. But it's important that we as believers know what the objective is. Because we need to pursue that objective with the exact same zeal that Paul had. And the great objective for each and every one of us is the great commission and the great commandment. Now, let me ask you a question. It really doesn't matter, for example, how involved you are in church. Because sometimes we want to sort of hide behind fulfilling the great commission and the great commandment behind doing a lot of church work. But I got to ask you something. When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, I can assure you those are going to be the first two questions he's going to ask you. He's going to ask you, what are you doing to fulfill the great commission and what are you doing to fulfill the great commandment? And I know what some of you might say. You might say, well, Lord, I was serving in the church. Yeah, but how many folks are getting saved through you? Oh, you don't like this message, but I'm going to preach it anyway, okay? Think about it. How how many people are getting impact through you? Because if you are going to be a disciple, guess what? God has a mission for each and every one of you. Do you believe that this morning? God wants to use each and every one of you. God has greatness in store for each and every one of you. And I'm not talking about the kind of greatness that gets a lot of pat in the back, but it is a lot of greatness that they're going to be talking about in heaven about you. How many want to get there? You want to get there? I want to help you to get there. Let's keep going with the story, okay? Because here's the thing. Too many people are coming to church just to do church, but not really involved with this objective. And this is what the objective is. Remember, it's not the one who comes to church Jesus considers a disciple, but the one that does his will. But more on that a little later. Let's finish the story. Verse 7. And the man who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple. Everybody say disciple. Notice what it does not say. It does not say there was a certain apostle. It does not say there was a certain pastor. It does not say there was a certain prophet or evangelist, but there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Isn't it ironic that one of the chief priests that's given Paul of uh, Saul of Tarsus the authority to bound your Christians and bring them to Jerusalem is also called Ananias. How ironic is that one, right? But that's not the Ananias that we're talking about today. Ananias hears from God, but now he's putting up an excuse, okay? The excuse here is fear. God, mm, I heard about this guy, okay? And, of course, Ananias doesn't know the whole story yet, but here's how it relates to us. A lot of times, we don't want to take a next step with God because of either fear or excuses. 
We don't want to go the next step because of fear or excuses. Fear because we don't think God can use us in a great way or excuses because we simply don't want to be bothered. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, don't hate Pastor Frank for telling us the truth. Go ahead. Some of us don't want to be bothered. In other words, we want to come to church, have our seat, have our worship, hear our sermon, pay our tithe, and then we are done. Here's the thing. When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, Christ is not going to be interested in any of those things. That's just part of Christian life. Christ is going to ask you, have you been conducting the work of a disciple? And I'll explain that in just a moment. Okay, just hang in there with me. Okay? This is why sometimes God has to insist like he did with Ananias. I'm pretty sure Ananias, you know, was listening to God. And he said, hey, God, why don't you send Paul to Peter? Because Peter's a tough guy. Peter can handle Paul. Peter can handle all his stuff. Nope. God says, no, I want you to do it. Isn't it ironic that sometimes God will send people to us and we disqualify ourselves based on what we think about ourselves rather than think about what God thinks about you. And we just disqualify ourselves. And we miss out on great opportunities for us to sow into somebody else's life where that person that you are not sowing into could have been the next great one. But we'll get to that in just a second, okay? Um, It's not that God wants to put a burden on you, but God wants to do great things through you. Do you believe that this morning? Folks, can I tell you something? God, the only way God is going to show up, are you ready? It's going to be through you. Do you hear what I just said? The only way God's going to show up in almost any given situation is going to be through you. And you know why? Because we are the messengers. We're the one that's going to carry out the work of the disciple. Okay? Now, let's keep going with the story. Verse 15. Okay? But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel. Say chosen vessel. Of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, before the kings, and the children of Israel. Now, this is interesting because, wow, what a calling Paul has. Paul is being called the chosen vessel. Paul is being defined as the person that God is going to use to witness to all the great kings, to all the Gentiles, and the nation of Israel. And he's sending him to this simple little disciple that no one knows about, okay, to be discipled. Think about that for a second, okay? And look at how, look at Ananias' reaction. See, Ananias is hearing from God. Paul is my chosen vessel. Isn't it interesting that Ananias didn't say, uh, Lord, what about me? Am I not a chosen vessel? You see, here's the thing. Don't measure greatness based on what somebody achieves. Greatness is based on faithfulness. Greatness is based on faithfulness. Greatness is based on you being faithful where you know you can be. Things that you know you can do. And as long as you're being faithful in heaven, you're already labeled as the great one. Do you believe that this morning, though? Because that's what it boils down to. Listen, you got to love this, okay? Ananias, okay, is being chosen here to disciple Paul. And let's finish the story. Verse 16. 
for I will show him many things. He must suffer for my namesake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he rose and was baptized. So when he had received food and was strengthened, then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Why is Paul spending some days with disciples at Damascus? Because he's remaining there because God's keeping him here there while he's getting discipled. But it's interesting to note that he's being discipled by other disciples. Is everybody following me? Okay. Four things that we need to know about what Ananias fulfilled with Paul. Okay. Now, in your notes, you need to interject this just on top of this. These are the things Ananias does for Paul as a disciple. Ananias, the disciple, went to this place to pray for Paul, the apostle's healing. Ananias, the disciple, goes over there to pray over Paul, the apostle, to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Ananias, the disciple, goes to Paul, the apostle, to baptize him in water. And most importantly, Ananias, the disciple, say the disciple, is also sent there to help with the Apostle Paul's discipling. Folks, here's the message. Ananias is just a regular guy. He's just a regular Christian. He's just another disciple like you and me that God has empowered to minister, to teach, and to disciple one of the greatest apostles of the New Testament. Okay? Ananias is like, any any Star Wars fans out there? Yes? Yes? Oh, you're afraid to admit it. That's what it is, right? I kind of like Star Wars. I especially like the Jedi. I'm into the Jedi thing. You know why? Jedis have no status. They have no titles, but they know how to use the force. See? They're not the leaders. They're not the one that makes the rules. They're submissive to other people, even though they got all this power, but they know how to use that power. Here's the point. As a disciple of Christ, we're supposed to know How and when to use and be led by this force called the Holy Spirit. See, some of us might believe or some of us might not believe, but I got to remind you that when you became born again, you became a temple of the Holy Spirit. He's with you all the time, waiting to be utilized. But there's a great underlying story that I want to make sure I get to. The Lord didn't send Saul, an apostle, to an apostle, but he sent him to a disciple named Ananias. The Lord sent him to a disciple to be disciple. You would have thought that perhaps Jesus would have sent, you know, Paul to maybe John or Peter or maybe one of the seasoned apostles considering that Paul was going to be the chosen vessel. But instead, he sent him to an average believer who was thoroughly discipled himself. You know, can I tell you something? I tried to do a lot of research on this particular Ananias. I read commentaries and study Bibles, trying to find out some more information. Why would God choose Ananias to disciple Paul? What was it about? There's got to be a hidden something, a smoking gun about Ananias that God would have chosen him to disciple Paul. And do you know that the only thing that the commentaries say about this, this disciple Ananias was that he was a devout observer of the law. That's all the Bible says about him. But can I tell you something? Let's put that in today's terms. 
He was a devout follower of the word of God. That's how, that's, that's how the Bible defines him. Do you know that we're all commanded to be observers of the law? In other words, observers of the, law, the word of God. Why do you think 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15 says, Be diligent to present yourself, approved to God, a worker who does not have to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. That commandment is for every single believer, not a chosen few. And what's interesting is that it's all about, the, you know, that this is all we know about Ananias, yet he fulfilled this one mission that he will always forever be remembered for. Folks, this here is the power of discipleship. And we put it to the side like it's an option. Can I tell you something right now? The greatest mistake that the church has made, and I'm not talking about, uh, I'm talking about the church in general. Yeah, we'll throw faith church in there as well. The greatest mistake that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has made was we made discipleship optional. We are offered as a separate class. I got news for you. Jesus requires every single believer to be discipled. See, here's the thing. Are you aware that in the New Testament, the word Christian only appears three times? That's it. And do you know that Jesus never, ever uses that term to define a believer? Now, I'm not throwing out the baby with the bathwater, but hang in there for a minute with me. Jesus never defined a believer as a Christian. The apostles and the disciples used that term to define a believer who is associated with a religious faith that has Christ-likeness, but Jesus never defined a believer as a Christian. Can I tell you something? The word Christian is used three times in the New Testament. The word disciple is used 279 times in the New Testament. Is anybody listening to me this morning? 279 times. Jesus clearly uses the word disciple to define a follower of him. You know, interesting statistic. The Pew Research did a, uh, uh, an investigation or, or, or one of those things that they do, you know, where they studied 173 million Americans back in November of 2014 to find out how many of them had some type of religious affiliation. Now, check this out. 173 million people define themselves, or when they were asked to define their religious faith, they all define themselves as Christian. They all define themselves as Christian. Can you imagine if we had 173 million followers of Jesus Christ in the United States? I guarantee this would be the holiest nation in the planet. Are you hearing me today? Just because somebody defines themselves as a Christian doesn't mean they're going into the kingdom of God. You know, it's kind of interesting because on my way to church here last night, right, uh, I'm listening to Kirk, the Kirk Franklin radio station. I don't know, but once in a while, I need to get a gospel groove. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some little choir action, right, something, you know, a little gospel groove. So I'm listening on Sirius Radio, you know, Kirk Franklin's channel. All of a sudden, Snoop Doggy Dog comes on. I'm like, let me make sure I didn't hit the wrong. Is this a hip-hop channel? Wait, what did I... No, it's Kirk Franklin. Did you know that Snoop Dogg released a gospel album? You aware of that? Now, now here's, the, here's the interesting thing about that. So I'm listening to this thing, and it's got a nice groove to it. You know, it's like, you know, Snoop can rap, right? The man can rap, right? You know, so I'm listening to this. I'm like, oh, okay. But then I realize, you know, this sounds good, but there's no anointing on it. Are you hearing me? Let me tell you something. Music has the power to move anybody. It does. Whether it's worship, whether it's rock, okay, whether it's jazz, whatever the case. Once you hear music, especially music that you like, how do you know that you move? Can I hear an amen out there? Turn your neighbor and say, you know he's telling the truth. Now listen, I'm a Boricua. You put 
Tito Puente on or Gran Combo, I'm going to move. Hello. And by the way, I have a much better groove than Pastor Santora. I'm going to tell you right now. Listen, I play, I'm a percussionist. I play drums, timbales, congos. I know how to groove. Frank tries to groove. Okay? That's why he breaks. Okay? I know he's listening. He's probably going to jack me up on Tuesday when he sees me in the office. Right? But, you know, be careful how you are. You know, uh, you know I, 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 the other, another song that I heard Nicki Minaj rapping on Tasha Cobb's album. Right? Now, Nicki can rap. Right? I mean, little, I don't think kids should be listening to it. You know what I'm saying? You know? So, all of a sudden, she's rapping in Tasha Cobb's album. Now, Tasha Cobb is like a household name in the black African-American gospel. You know, as a matter of fact, she's now one of the lead worship leaders at Redemption Church with this guy, Gray, I think his name is now pastoring. Right? And again, you know, you're hearing this, right? And, oh, yeah, oh, this, this sounds good, right? Sounds good, but it doesn't mean that it has any anointing on it. See? A Christian is, def- uh, I'm sorry, a disciple is defined as a follower of Jesus. And if you are a follower of Jesus, your mind is going to be renewed. Your mind is going to change. Your thought process is going to be transformed. And if that's not happening, guess what? I don't know exactly what it is you're following, but I don't know if it's the same Savior that we worship here at Faith Church. Because it requires a change. Everybody say change. And that's what discipleship is, okay? Uh, let's go back to the notes here, okay? You know, I, when I'm standing here in front of you, okay, I stand here in the office of a pastor, maybe an evangelist, maybe a prophet, okay? Are you hearing me? Okay, I stand in the office of a five-fold calling. But when I'm with my home group on Tuesday night, I'm just a disciple discipling other disciples. That is, that is all. Matter of fact, I don't even do that. My, my wife leads the home group. I just attend. Hello. I just attend. And man, I might chime in once in a while. But it's not about me. It's not about the office. It's about following the commands of Christ. And every single one of us, yes, is called to disciple other disciples. That's where the breakthrough is. It's amazing to me how many people want breakthrough, right? How many of us want breakthrough? Well, for whatever reason, right? You know, can I just mess with you for a moment, even though I do anyway, right? It's amazing to me how excited some of you guys get for outpouring, but when we call Bible study, everybody stays quiet. What's up with that? What's up with that? You know? I've had people come in the doors, right? mistakenly think it is outpouring? I say, yes, Bible study. Oh, okay. Um, when is outpouring again? <laughs> no, nothing wrong with outpouring. Outpouring is good. Listen, we are a spirit-filled church. We believe in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We believe as an infilled believer, you should be speaking in tongues. Amen? We believe in healing. We believe in prophetic. We believe in all that, but that is not the priority. Are you hearing me this morning? No. The priority is understanding that God wants to perform or do greatness through each and every one of you. Every single one of you. And it starts with just spending some time with somebody else. Spending some time helping somebody else know what their calling in life is. Now, here's the thing, okay? I'm just doing the work as an Ananias when I'm sitting in front of that small group. I study the word to present myself approved. That part that I fulfill in my small group is not my calling, but our collective mandate as a disciple. And let me tell you something. Don't underestimate yourself because the Holy Spirit is living in each and every one of you.
Don't undermine yourself. Don't let the enemy put you in a level where you can never be at that Pastor Vega or Pastor Central level. Can I tell you something? No, you will never be just like I will never be at the level where God wants to take you. Because everything is individual with God. He's just looking to see who is willing to be used. You will never know whether it's 20, whether it's 2, whether it's 5. You will never know how it is God is going to use that person that you are spending time discipling and mentoring, okay, where they're going to end up as a result of you sowing the word of God into their life, okay? Do you know that right now, please hear this word, there are many aborted missions going on right now as a result of people not following through and taking the time to disciple other disciples. Aborted missions. There could be a third of aborted missions right now because some of us aren't taking the time to be disciples or disciple. I'm going to tell you right now, God wants to do greatness with each and every one of you. The question is, do you believe it? And if you believe it, here's how you respond. Are you ready? It's not like, okay, Lord, here I am. Use me. Lord, I'm ready. God is like, go to Bible study. Uh, well, is there anything else? Can you just show me what I got to do? Yeah, first you got to get rooted. Are you hearing me? Because the moment you step into this thing, the enemy will try everything possible to stop you. The moment you become a threat, the enemy will... And and, and, and let me just qualify this because I know what some of you guys are thinking. Now, you got to understand something. By the way, in case you don't know me, I'm Pastor Frank Vega. I've been saved for 46 years, and I've been in full-time ministry for 30 years, okay? And if there's one thing that I have discovered is exactly how the enemy works. And here's how he works. Because when you step into this battleground with him, okay, don't think that all of a sudden he's going to send you an illness, he's going to help you lose your job, or he's going to cause problems in your marriage. How many know that you don't have to be a believer to have problems in your marriage, deal with an illness, and lose your job? Can I hear an amen out there? How many of us have lost a job and you weren't a Christian yet? Think about it. And you became a Christian. Maybe you got the job. Maybe you lost it. Maybe you're just a bad employee. Can I hear a hello out there? <laughs> Look, if you're a bad employee, you just, don't come to me saying, you know what? You got to hire me because I'm a believer. I'm saved by the blood. Can you t- change the tire? Hello? Okay. Don't start equating things that have nothing to do with the enemy. Let me tell you how the enemy is going to come at you. Because he already, he, I, I see him 100% successful doing it this way. Okay. You step up your game, right? All of a sudden, he's going to throw two things at you. Get ready for them. One of them is going to be excuses. And the other is going to be distractions. He's going to keep you very, very busy. All of a sudden, you're stepping up your game. Hey, hey, you need to put some more hours in. Can you come work on Sunday? Come work on Saturday. Oh, the kids got baseball, football, basketball, uh, volleyball, whatever. They're swimming. I mean, and don't get me wrong. Nothing wrong with that stuff. But you got to be careful how much time it is taking you away from God. Nothing sinful. Notice nothing sinful there. Overtime, nothing sinful. Got to take my kids to all these programs. Nothing sinful. Oh, man, I work really late Friday night, Saturday night. Oh, I woke up, oh, you know. And it's not just one Sunday. We're talking two Sundays, three Sundays, four Sundays. See, all of a sudden, the enemy begins to keep you busy to the point where now God is on the bottom of your totem pole of priorities. This is how he's going to come at you. See, and, he, and, I, and I hate to tell you this, but with many believers, he's winning. He's got, and then before you know it, you know, believers are wondering why they're stressed out, frustrated, whatever the case might be. 
because they're not flowing in the plan that God has laid out for their lives. Please hear this. The path is not faith, church. The path is being born again and transformed into a disciple of Christ. That's what it's all about. That's why kind of I went ahead a little bit, but my number two is there. Watch out for the stumbling blocks. I mentioned one of them, priorities. Watch out with your priority. Is, hear this, is Jesus a priority in your life? Well, Pastor Vega, I do come to church every single Sunday. Pastor Vega, I do tithe, and I know that counts for something. Yeah, it does. But what happens when you leave here? Listen, church starts when you leave here. You hear what I just said? If you just come and this is church for you, you're just going through a 90-minute experience. But when we come here together collectively as a body, if the worship is ushering you into the presence of God, how many know change has to take place? Because now you're prepped to hear the word of God. And then you start receiving the word of God. Now you got to meditate on that word. Why? Listen, don't get offended. Don't get insulted. But you are not this smart. Most of us will forget a lot of what you heard this morning unless you go over it again. Come on, say amen, somebody. Turn your neighbor and say, do not get mad at Pastor Vega for telling the truth. Go ahead, tell him. How many of us went to college? Raise your hand. You went to university, right? Yeah, you know. You heard the professor, right? And some of you even bought recording devices. Hello? In your classroom. Because you need to hear it again and again and again. Then after that, you go home, you study the notes. Why? Because you got to get, you got to let that thing sink in. I got news for you. We are here receiving a lesson, a lecture. Yeah, call it what you want. But it is a lesson to renew the way you think. And that takes meditation. So you hear this word, and the Bible says, meditate on the word of God. Let it begin to renew your mind. Transform the way you think. Can I tell you something? You know, some of us don't realize, okay, that maybe perhaps, you know, we've been on the wrong religious path. Don't treat this as a religion. If you just change churches, that is just a change in religious geography. Because if you came here just because you didn't like your church, but are still clueless to what it means to be born again, you need to get right or you will get left. Hard, huh? But that's the truth. Listen, God God doesn't want you to leave here confused. God doesn't want you to leave here thinking that you're okay just because you're doing certain things. Okay, no, Jesus wants you to become a disciple. You know, the story of the rich young ruler, I'm pretty sure we've read about it plenty of times, right? I'm not going to read it today, but I do want to go to one point. You remember when the rich young ruler is telling Jesus all the good things that he did? What, what was he basically saying? He was basically saying, Jesus, I'm a good person. Isn't that enough? And what did Jesus say? You're missing, you're lacking one thing. Everybody say you're missing one thing. Sell everything you have. Give to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven. Then come and follow me. Then come and... Why did Jesus tell this guy, sell everything you have? Here's the message for you and me. Get rid of the distractions. And come follow me. How many know when you follow Jesus, you will never be the same? You can't be. It's impossible. The Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of you. You will never be the same. Okay? It's not about being just a good person. Many of us think... 
that we're okay because we're a good person. We come to church. We do, you know, we conduct all these religious sacraments. But it goes way beyond that. Have you ever really found out what Jesus actually requires in order to inherit the kingdom of God, okay, and be a true follower of him? Have you ever asked the question, what you need to do to inherit treasure in heaven? Well, here's the thing. To be great in the kingdom of God, you need to do not and store up. Write that down. You need to do not and store up. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin and destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves what? Treasures in where? Heaven. Now, how do we do that? Okay. Let me jump because I'm running out of time. Jesus gives us two commands here. Do not and store up. Each of us needs to judge ourselves if we're actually following through on both. The first one is do not. Do not store treasures up uh, here on earth. This question, this is a question of priorities, like where you're investing your resources. Nothing wrong, by the way, with savings and, and retirement, all that. I'm not talking about that. But here's the question I'm going to ask you. How much of what you do with the success that you have in life is impacting eternity? Because I got news for you. We're all successful in something. Amen? Do you believe that? I believe you're successful in something. I believe God created you for a purpose. So if God created you for a purpose, how many know you are successful in something? Okay? But my question is, how much of that are you utilizing for the kingdom of God? And here's a couple of things that you need to keep in mind. Okay? When it comes to storing up treasures in heaven. And the first one has nothing to do with money. The first one has to do with souls. Okay, are you willing to commit to Christ to the level that he wants you to commit to where the result is you become a soul winner? The Bible says in Proverbs 1130, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is what? Wise. How much time do we spend at least thinking about this? It should occupy our thought process. Let me tell you what happens when you turn somebody to Jesus. Uh, James 520. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Wow. When you lead somebody to Christ, this is what you're delivering from them. So here's the question. Where in your heart, okay, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. So is getting souls saved tuggling at your heart? What do you see? When you look at your family members, friends, co-workers, neighbors, and you know they are not followers of Christ. Do you feel for them? Is there something tugging at your heart where you say, Lord, open up a door where I can perhaps witness to them of who you are. Then there's the knowledge, not man's knowledge, but God's knowledge, okay? Psalm 119.105 says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Then verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So, is getting God's word in your heart a part of that treasure you're storing in there? What are you storing in there? And you know, on the story with the rich young ruler, Jesus says, he talks about the darkness. He talks about when you're not letting the right light into you, you are in the darkness. The darkness there refers to ignorance. And we have to be careful with this, because as righteous as you may think you are, just doing the things that you are told and thinking you are on the right path Guess what? You could be going the wrong way. The question is, are we our disciple? Are we really fulfilling the mandate of being a disciple? The apostle Paul thought he was doing the right thing. 
persecuting the Christians in the name of God. He was a very he was very religious until he had this hard hit encounter on the road to Damascus. Listen to me this morning. For some of you, Damascus starts now. And it could be meaning that you really have to surrender your life totally to Christ or you need to step up your game. But Damascus starts now. Turn your name and say, Damascus for you starts now. Go ahead, tell them. It starts now. And what does that mean? Listen, okay? What are you doing? What are you going to do about this new knowledge that has now been communicated to you? Are you just like going to act like business as usual? Or are you going to really decide to be a true follower of Jesus? Jesus was telling the rich young ruler, stop following me in a way that only makes you feel good. Start following me in a way that makes me believe that you want to. I'm going to repeat that. Start following me in a way that makes me believe that you want to. Start seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and not your righteousness. And I close with the last point. Are we learning something this morning? If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you must be the next Ananias that they're going to be talking about in heaven. You have to be the next Ananias that they're going to be talking about in heaven. Ananias was just a disciple like you and me who was obedient in discipling others. A disciple is not defined as a Christian. A a disciple is defined as a follower of Christ. Okay? And did you know that we already mentioned about the poll, right? Okay? But here's the thing. Okay? When you think about people who have been discipled, when you think about people like T.D. Jakes or, uh, you know, even Joel Osteen, okay? When you think about uh, Joyce Myers, Frank Santora, Frank Vega, Rich Perez, all of us can probably, if you were to ask me who discipled me or who discipled them, I guarantee you they're going to go to one person. One person that had a great impact on their life that taught them week after week and they followed through on those instructions. The one person that will always come to my mind as a person who I would say discipled me was Dr. Fred Price back in the early days. I'm not that old, by the way, okay? But let me tell you something. When I first heard this man preach or teach, actually, almost 35 years ago, okay, I mean, he had me at hello. Are you hearing me? I started, because you have to understand, I was brought up in a legalistic church. A lot of shouting, a lot of screaming, a lot of Holy Ghost, you know, hanging off the chandeliers, hair all over the place, people crawling, all right? Went through all that. Listen, we thought the power of God was in that. And I hate to bring it to you, but it wasn't. That's why most of those people today are back in the world. Then I hear this guy get on TV and start teaching verse by verse. And let me tell you something. Let me tell you how, how, how hooked I was, okay? Now, again, I'm not saying I'm old. But, you know, we didn't have all the fancy stuff that we have today, right? I used to set up my tape recorder next to the TV to record his sermons, okay? Yeah, through the record. And I still got those cassettes, even though my wife has threatened to throw all my cassettes out. I said, no, you don't touch those. Those are anointed cassettes. You ain't touching those things. I don't even have a cassette player anymore, okay? I'm going to hold on to those cassettes. Dr. Price really taught me thoroughly what it meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you something. It was just mind-boggling, and I was hooked. I will tell you that I'm standing here today because I allowed this man to sow into my life the Word of God. He discipled me. Even though I never knew him personally, 
I, I went to a couple of conferences where he spoke live, okay? But he was the guy that discipled me. My, my point is that, folks, you got to sit under somebody. I'm not talking about pulpit ministry. I'm talking about one-on-one, three-on-one, whatever the case might be, where you're sitting down with a small group of people exchanging the word of God, where you are discipling somebody or somebody is discipling you. That doesn't happen from this pulpit. I hate to tell you this. No. That happens where you're talking to somebody and somebody can help hold you accountable. And I mean that in a positive way, you know. I mean, where somebody is encouraging you, they don't see you in church. Listen, Pastor Al is not the one calling you. It's your, your small group guy calling you. You're in the hospital. You're waiting for somebody from Faith Church to come visit you. Although we try. We got Pastor Al, we got Pastor Dan, and a few pastors. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you're discipling that person, God wants you to be an Ananias, lay your hands on him, and pray that they receive healing. <laughs> see? Here's my point. This could be anybody. Are you hearing me? Don't put us. Oh, man, here it comes. Don't put us pastors in a status that even we don't want. Oh, no, no, no. But if, if Pastor Vega prays for me, I know I will receive my healing. It doesn't work that way. That's not the way faith works. Because you have to put your faith in him. And any believer that you get together where there are two or three gathered in my name, there in the midst I will be. There in the midst I will be. So it's never about a person. It's about what you believe. I'll close with this. Luke 9, 23. Are we learning something this morning? Then he said to all of them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple. Jesus does not say whoever wants to be a Christian, whoever wants to be spiritual, Whoever wants to be religious, no. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple. I believe that the enemy clouds this verse every time we come across it because we don't want to follow it. Because carrying your cross can mean the following. Are you ready? By the way, it's never painful. If you're thinking carrying your cross is painful, let me ask you a question. What does it really cost you to give an extra night to God? What I mean by that is that, you know, if you are a Christian and if Christ is supposed to be first in your life, it's a priority. You know, I remember when my grandchild was born, just like my kids. I wanted to spend every day with her. And I still do, by the way. I spoil her to death and my daughter hates me for it, right? You know? But my point is that there's just a love thing there, you know, where you're just so connected, right? And you want to make it a priority to spend with that person. This is the kind of level of love you need to have with Jesus. But if you're going to love Jesus, listen, the only way you can demonstrate how you love Jesus is how you're treating one another. And the only way you will have an opportunity to treat one another is not in church. Because let's be honest, when service is over, we want to split and get brunch. Can I hear any men out there? We want to, listen, after you preach two times, I want to eat my whole refrigerator when I get home, all right? See, it's not about what happens in this setting. It's about what happens in an intimate setting where you get to know somebody and somebody gets to know you. It's amazing to me, and I will tell you right now, you can ask any one of my home group leaders, especially in the Spanish ministry, how easy it is to get volunteers with people who are part of a home group. 
Very easy. See? Somebody wants to disciple you. Somebody's waiting to be discipled by you. The question is, will you respond to the call? Did we learn something this morning? Let's stand to our feet.